Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in today's journey through history, we're going to take a look at something a little bit differently. Many of us in this audience grew up with the phone book. Now, the modern generation probably is not very familiar with what uh, it is to look up things in a phone book when they can just Google it or use some other search engine out there to find information. But back in the day, even before the phone books existed, there were city directories. And so today I'm going to take you through some information that you might find if you were to travel back in time to 1899 and explore a directory from that period. So come along and join me. I'll get into more details here in a minute. The reference I'm going to be referring to today is a directory that was published in 1899 by Willard A. Norton Compiler and Publishers, and it was the directory of Dewajak, Cassopolis, and LaGrange, Pokagon, Silver Creek, and Wayne Townships. Now, virtually every community that had any capability of publishing anything or were of a reasonable size published a city directory. And if you look at your archives in libraries in your community, you will likely find scanned copies of these old directories if they've been preserved. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to take you through some of the listings and notations that were in these directories well, in this specific directory, and they would have been similar in different areas of southwest Michigan during this time period. And once again, these predate the phone books. Although many people during this time or many communities during this time did have telephone exchanges within these areas of their townships and counties. But what I'm talking about, when I refer to the old phone books, we're talking about the old Bell Telephone phone books that were, you know, three inches thick or larger and that you get delivered once a year and it was a big deal and you had all the businesses inside them and so forth. The directories were a little different. They had things that the small community needed to know and it covered everything from advertising to train schedules to uh, stagecoach schedules and so forth. So when I was looking through this one, I found it very interesting. So let me just get right down into it. The top the top advertisement, Otis Bigelow Dwajak sells the best grades of pianos and organs at the lowest price possible. Dwajak post office hours, 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. and Sunday, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Stage leaves for Cassopolis at 9 a.m. and arrives there at 11.30 a.m. Returns leaves Cassopolis at 3 p.m. arrives at Dwajak at 5.30 p.m. Stage leaves Keeler for Dwajak 7.15 a.m., arrives at 11 a.m. Leaves Dwajak for Keeler at 1.45 p.m., arrives at Keeler at 5 p.m. First delivery is made at 7 a.m., 11.10 a.m., 2.10 p.m., collections at the same time and due at 5.30. Mail from the west get to Pokogon 10 minutes before they do at Dwajak and from the east 10 minutes later at Dwajak. Stage leaves Pokagon for Somerville at 1.35 p.m. each day. And then it continues to go through the various post office hours and mail delivery and coach 
for the different communities. Kasopolis's post office hours were a similar time period, but their mail delivery was done by the Grand Trunk and Michigan Central Railroad. And it notes all their time and departure times, which there are a lot more of them. I'll read you a couple of them. The night mail started at 7.30 a.m. on the Grand Trunk, the Michigan Central, 8.15 a.m., and it gives the different train numbers, which was train number 64 on the Michigan Central, and so forth. And there's quite a lot of detail listed here. But that's just kind of an interesting thing that people had that train schedule and mail delivery thing published in their city directory. The next page over, we've got an ad for fine tailoring to go, Easy Peltzels of Dwajak. And his office was at 103 Commercial Street upstairs. Then there's an incredible list of bands available in the area. We have the Dwajak Mandolin Club, Sidney Mosher, conductor, Leon Lyle, manager, treasurer, and secretary, and Jerry Mosher, Abe Oppenheim, and John Schroff were the other club members. Then there was the Beckwith Memorial Theater Orchestra with A.E. Raldofi as the conductor. And then it lists all the other players. Then there's the Dwajak Round Oak Band, William Schuchert, clarinet and conductor, and a whole bunch of other band members here. Then there was the Ideal Mandolin Banjo and Guitar Club of Cassopolis. The director was Miss Bessie Swan. And then there was the Cassopolis Military Band with C.W. Martin as the director and Harry Tietzort as the leader. Then it goes into a listing of the local churches. There were churches, of course, in every community, Cassopolis, Dwajak, Polkagon, Silver Creek, and Oak Grove. There were Baptist churches, Catholic churches, Christian church, a Congregational church, an Episcopal church, German Lutheran church, Methodist Episcopal churches, African M.E. church, and Presbyterian churches, and the Protestant Union listed in this category from various areas around the township. Then there was a breakdown of clubs listed, and there's only two clubs listed here. There's the City Whist Club with George E. Bishop as president, and then the other club here is kind of funny, Married People Pleasure Club of Dwajak. I wonder what they got into. Then there was listings of the depots in the area. There was the Grand Trunk Railroad Depot in Cassopolis, the Michigan Central Railroad Depot in Cassopolis, and the Michigan Central Railroad Depot in Dwajak. The next listing was Fairgrounds, Dwajak, and Cassopolis. And then it went into the fire departments as uh, the different police chiefs were Barlow Jewell as the chief of the Cassopolis Fire Department. Then there was an extensive list of halls. There was Cassopolis Town Hall, City Hall in Dwajak, Fireman's Hall in Dwajak, GAR Hall in Dwajak. There were Masonic Halls in Cassopolis and Dwajak, the Silver Creek Town Hall, and a few other ones with just a bunch of acronyms on here. The jail is listed. You have the city jail on 113 East Division Street with Hiram Scoville as city marshal and the Cass County Jail of Cassopolis with William Reagan as the county sheriff. Then there was the Ladies' Library as the next listing. After that, there was opera houses. We had the Beckwith Theater, 
on Front and Beeson and the Old Opera House on 113 Beeson. Then they found it necessary to list the secret and benevolent organizations, the AOUW, which was the Ancient Order of United Workmen, and they met the first and third Tuesday evenings of each month at Old Fellows Hall to Wyshack with N.B. Copley, Master Workman. And the AOUW had meetings over in Cassopolis as well, and they met the third Tuesday of each month. Another secret and benevolent organization was the Tribe of Ben-Hur. wonder what that was all about. Then, of course, there were the, the Catholic Knights and Ladies of America, the Independent Order of Foresters, Albert Anderson Post G.A.R. Now, the G.A.R. was very active during this time period. And then there was the Independent Order of the Odd Fellows. Now, that's an organization that was somewhat connected with the Masons, and they did some amazing things during their time period. I had a friend that told me that his father was very active way back in the day in the Independent Order of the Odd Fellows. And before the time periods when there were insurance companies and things like that, if somebody's house burned down, the Odd Fellows would get together and raise money and rebuild a person's house for them. And sometimes they would do the work themselves, but they would fund and do these charities that they would uh, have this money in in hold to save somebody's uh, life or whatever, you know, with uh, getting them a new house built if there was a fire. And this was before you had anything like, um, not, you know, well, there were insurances back then, but not everybody had insurance available to them or could afford it. So they'd have these people that would... uh, come together with these very active charity organizations that did what they called benevolent uh, activities within a community. If somebody's uh, house was damaged by a storm or something like that, or maybe they had a flood, they would uh, have this charitable reserves available to come in and help people. And he said that a lot of that type of uh, charitable activity went away when the country introduced Social Security uh, a lot of those organizations stopped uh, having any success in fundraising for their activities for those sorts of things anymore. The secret and benevolent organizations occupied a great portion of this directory. I mean, there was another independent order of the Odd Fellows over in Dwajak. There was the Greenleaf Rebecca Lodge, which appears to be another lodge that was in Dwajak. And it was run by the ladies, and they were part of the Independent Order of the Odd Fellows. There was also an organization called the International Congress, and they had a couple of different chapters in Dwajak, and they're listed here. And the Knights of Pythias were listed here, and there were different lodges in Kasopolis and Dwajak. And there were four different chapters of the Knights of the Maccabees. So the benevolent organizations went for seven pages of this directory, and there are several other ones listed here. Then it goes into the Dwajak city officers and county officers, and also in the city officers they had the aldermen and the board of public works listed. The mayor at the time was Frank Ritchie, and the county officers cover everything from state senators to state representatives. Then it breaks down into the directory of all the people that were living in the different cities during that time period. Some of the advertisements include everything from jewelry to dry goods stores to dentists 
to Taylor's, and the Honest Exchange Grocery House at Bedrock Prices Cash Paid For Produce. Then there was the City Shoe Store, and then the Michigan Anchor Fence Company of South Haven, Michigan, advertised here. Their steel clamp fastenings, all cross wires of the anchor fence is best device yet invented. All wires are number eight galvanized. And finally, there's a W.H. Stewart of Dwajak who makes the fine track and road harness, all kinds of repairing on 202 Commercial Street. The tack and harness companies were still very common during this time period, as a lot of people still had buggies and horses and wagons as the main mode of transportation. The automobile did not come around for another 20 years to be commonly owned in the communities, even though there might have been uh, some early variations of it. But this was 1899, so it's still a very much a horse and buggy and carriage type mode of transportation, or you went on foot if you didn't have a horse and a carriage and a buggy. And there's a lot of dressmaking advertisements, and there's a lady by the name of Mrs. John Frazier who advertised herself as a lady tailoress. All kinds of gents repairing, cleaning, pressing, or making over first-class work guaranteed. And as expected, there are barber shops, Chapman's Barbershop. If in need of a clean shave or an up-to-date Haircut, first-class work guaranteed. Children's haircutting, a specialty. 140 South Front Street, Dwajak. The Elkerton advertised in this directory. I believe this was a hotel. Homer Jones proprietor, formerly the Bryant of Flint, Michigan, rates at $2 per day. Steam heat, electric lights, large sample rooms. Telephone number 17. Now, there's a great advertisement in here from the newspaper. And um, it starts out, An Irishman, when asked why he always talked to himself, replied, In the first place, because I like to talk to an intelligent man. In the second place, because I always like to hear an intelligent man talk. We talk out loud for the Irishman's reasons. We would rather talk to you about your county paper. The Herald is the biggest, brightest, and best newspaper published in Cass County. The Dwajak Times and Republican and the Cassopolis Vigilant Democrat all have eight pages, six columns each, or 48 columns each. And the price each is $1.50 per year. The Dwajak Herald has eight pages, seven columns each, of 56 columns, and the subscription price is only $1 per year. Largest circulation of any paper published in Cass County, and the Herald is therefore the best advertiser. Our job department is not equaled by any other printing office in the county and has won for itself the very apt expression, Herald Quick Print. We have purchased a large font of 11 points type legal size for brief work and can make attorneys special rates for this kind of printing and ensure the best work possible. When you have sale bills, posters, dodgers, handbills, announcements, letterheads, billheads, cards, statements, wedding invitations, or work of any kind that you want printed, don't fail to see us. The Dwajak Herald, officed in Bigelow Block. J.A. Webster, proprietor. And that was the advertisement. It says a lot right in there. <laughs> now here's a full-page ad for the Keeley Institute, Benton Harbor, Michigan. Just one minute's reading. Dwight, Illinois, June 1st. 
1898. The Keeley Institute, Benton Harbor, Michigan, is authorized by the Leslie E. Keeley Company of Dwight, Illinois, to administer Dr. Leslie E. Keeley's double chloride of gold remedies for the cure of the liquor, opium, morphine, and other narcotic drug diseases. Its remedies are manufactured at our laboratory. Its physicians are especially instructed in the science of the Keeley treatment under Dr. Keeley's immediate supervision at Dwight, Illinois, and the management of the business affairs of the Institute and the direction of its policy dating from June 1, 1898, are conducted by Mr. C.F. O'Dell, who has had more than six years of practical experience as a manager in Keeley Institute work. Mr. O'Dell has met with a large measure of success in that relation, and not only as to the curative results attained under his administration, but also in the adaptability of his methods to the best interest and exception of the patients under his large and otherwise interested in Keeley rescue work. We therefore heartily commend the Keeley Institute of Benton Harbor, Michigan, to the confidence of the Michigan public and all requiring medical relief for the addiction's name. The Leslie E. Keeling Company. Curtis J. Judd, Secretary and Treasurer. And the advertisement came with a very nice picture of the Keeley Institute in Benton Harbor at the top of the ad. Then the commercial hotel had a full-page advertisement. Best accommodations in the city for the money. Rates $1 per day. G.O. Sifford proprietor, two blocks from depot and center of business. Dwajak, Michigan. Then after this section of full-page ads, it goes into the Dwajak business directory. And it's kind of interesting to look at the different businesses that were in existence during that time, like Axel Works by Lee and Porter. And they made standard vehicle axle factory in Buchanan. Then there was a ball bearing works, the Buchanan Ball Bearing and Dust Proof Axle Company is listed there. And of course, there were numerous barber shops, many of which seem to be side by side. There's at least five or six of them on Front Street alone, which was a very common practice during that era where you'd have barbers side by side. There was none of this uh, separating and being in different parts of town like you're so accustomed to today with similar type businesses so that they could tap into different market or audiences and not have competition right next door. It was not uncommon to see barbershops side by side during the late 1800s, uh, even in the early 1900s. I've come across that before in other cities. There was a story that I did on Ambrose Minty where he had two tenants on the ground floor and both of them were barbershops side by side in his uh, business place. And here's a listing of blacksmith. There were six of them in this directory alone. You'd be hard-pressed to find a single blacksmith today in a regional directory if you really looked if such a thing existed. Then there were boarding houses, bottle works, breeding stables, cigar factories. There was a lot of cigar factories in Michigan during the turn of the century. And I did a whole episode on that earlier in the podcast. Then there were cobblers. There were four of them listed here in Dwajak alone. Then there were cooper shops. Those are the guys that made barrels. Six different lady dressmakers, once again, side by side on Front Street. There's three of them alone on Front Street in Dwajak. Uh, there were, of course, drugstores. They were a little different than we're so used to today. They usually had a druggist rather than a pharmacist, what we normally see today. Dry goods stores, feed and wood stores, flowering mills, garbage burners, confectionery stores, 
Grain Drill Works, Greenhouses Gunsmith, um, Harness and Turf Goods. I'm just going through the ones that you're not so commonly going to see today when you look at a local directory, even online, or if there are still communities that have phone books published. Uh, livery stables, for example. There's four of them in the Dwajak listing. What you don't see in here is an auto mechanic. I guess with the replacement of uh, the modes of transportation, you suddenly have auto mechanics and garages replacing livery stables and barns. And uh, just kind of a note for history. Then you have lumber yards, which we do have those today, of course. Meat markets, marble and granite, combined paint, oil, and wallpaper stores, planing mills, and oh, look at the list of saloons. There are eight of them in Dwajak alone, and all of their proprietors are listed, and once again, seven out of the eight are right on Front Street, many of them side by side. Front Street must have been a real happening place back then, with all the dress shops, barber shops, and saloons side by side a seed store it had one sewing machine dealership the stage line is listed stove works and there were four different stove work manufacturers and sellers of wood stoves three different tailors in town a telegraph company and a telephone company separately listed and of course undertakers today we would call them funeral directors or funeral homes and as customary during that time period the undertakers had furniture stores, which was a common thing during that late 1800s, early 1900s, because the funeral business was somewhat slow to be independently operating as a livelihood. So you had to have something else that you did with the wood that you used for coffins and you made furniture. And the final listings in the directory are in the W's, wagons and agricultural implements, a wagon shop, and windmills as a category. So that was the business directory of just calling out the noted ones. I mean, there were physicians and dentists and that sort of thing listed in the overall business directory, common things that you would see today. But during that time period, there was a lot of businesses that we no longer see in a common directory. Now, looking through the Kasopolis business directory, a lot of similar categories, dressmakers, drugstores, dry goods, but there's also a drayman listed here. A drayman was one who delivered alcoholic uh, beverages for a brewery, and so he was listed here. Mr. Aza Daniels was a drayman. And, of course, there was a cigar factory. There's also a grain elevator, also a separate category for a horse breeder, Nelson Crosby, horse buyer and breeder along with livery stables in Kasopolis, as could be expected. But there was also laundries, which I didn't see one of those listed, and there's two of them listed in Kasopolis during 1899. Lumber and coal yard, and two milliners. Milliners were the hat-making people. There's George Kingsbury and then Mrs. A.D. Yost for millinery. Oh, here's a really special one. I could get into this one. A popcorn stand run by Wilmot Cooper, Popcorn and Peanut Stand, 103 South Broadway. There's also a poultry dealer and, of course, the list of saloons, all of them on Broadway Street, four of them. Got to have all those saloons side by side. Of course, they have the Telegraph Office next to the Undertakers in that category. Then there's a Veterinary Surgeon right above the listing for a wagon maker, going alphabetically, you see. Once again, there's a nice big advertisement for Robinson Furniture Company and Undertaking. Ernest J. Robinson, funeral director, advertising for Dwajak, but also doing service in 
Cassopolis as needed. There were no business directories listed here for Pokagon or LaGrange, but there were independent directories for the people in the community listed there. And there's a really cool advertisement on here for Graham and Morton line steel side wheel steamers plying between Benton Harbor, St. Joseph, and Chicago. These were big steamships, and they have their whole directory of when they leave Chicago, when they arrive in St. Joseph, or at Benton Harbor, or when they leave Benton Harbor, leave St. Joseph, and arrive in Chicago. Doesn't look like there were as many trips to Benton Harbor. Looks like there was only two, but St. Joseph had five per day, and they all went to Chicago. Change of time, September 10th. Close connections with all railroads at Benton Harbor and St. Joseph. Try this route and avoid the heat and dust. So I guess that was a ploy to convince people not to take the wagon road to Chicago, but take the side wheel steamer as a form of transportation, then connect with railroads in Benton Harbor and St. Joe and continue on your journey back to where you came from, whether it be Cassopolis or some other community in southwest Michigan. There's another steamer listed, the Charles McVeigh, and it left every evening at 9.30 p.m. from Benton Harbor, Michigan. It was a first-class passenger accommodation, so this was probably a bigger ship than the sidewheel steamers that were running on a regular basis. And as can be expected, there were the railroads listed with their directories around the community, everywhere from Buchanan to Berrien Springs, Benton Harbor, and St. Joseph, connecting to these shipping ports. But that's going to conclude today's journey through this historic directory of 1899. I just sometimes love to explore these directories because it gives you clues to what was going on in the community during that time and what was an important priority in the lives and gives you some insight into the daily life of people during that time period. I mean, you see absolutely no reference to certain things that we're so accustomed to today. I mean, there's no reference to automobiles, as I mentioned, and that sort of thing, because they weren't around. But everything was related to horses and horse tack and um, horseshoeing and horse care, you know, stables and livery stables, and even horse breeding was listed there. These were important aspects of life during that time for transportation. There was also the whole industry of buggy repair and wagons and all of those industries that were connected with it. And then, of course, railroad timetables were the upgrade in transportation to go longer distances between communities. And then you have steamships to Chicago and uh, not to mention all of these other interesting industries that um, I went through in the directory that gives you some kind of an insight into the time. Of course, staying in a hotel for a dollar per night or two dollars per night, uh, something completely unheard of today. And I have found going to a city's directory and looking up information on people, particularly if the directory was published within the time period that the person was known to have lived there, is a good way to find out about uh, the background of the person and what other things they might have been doing. And I did that when I was writing my book because there was a couple of the people that I was trying to find out some more information about how they were actually listed or if they were listed in the business directory. And I was able to rule that out or rule it in as, yes, they were uh, when I was 
trying to find pieces of the story and where they lived in town in relationship to what happened in the story. So uh, that is always a great resource, and sometimes it gives you a little bit more information than the census of that time period would tell you, because the census only came out every 10 years, whereas a directory oftentimes would publish every two to three years within a community. Battle Creek, for example, has about five directories from prior to 1900 online at the Willard Library. And there are many with the University of Michigan archives with uh, the atlases and county directories collection that they have. And so I often refer to those directories to find information from old published directories in that time period because it also tells you a little bit about the, the the backstory of what was life was like during that time, like I mentioned. I mean, you get a, a good feel for the whole period and you can immerse yourself into what it was like. You know, you wanted to go get groceries where well, you had to go harness up the horses and uh, connect the wagon and whatever and go down the road and then you had to deal with weather and then you had to uh, plan other things that you were going to do while you were in town. Maybe you went to go see the barber while you were there or you had to go get some horse tack uh, repaired while you were there. Your horses need to be shooed or something, you know. It gives you a, more, a better feel for how things are so different today from when they were back in those days, which is why we study history to begin with. So you can learn differences in how people have handled and resolved different problems and the people were actually living and getting on in what we would probably look at as a very challenging and difficult way to live, but it was very commonplace for them. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating or review on whatever app that you are listening on. Preferably, if you are listening on Spotify, uh, please be sure to tell other people about it. I'm trying to increase my Spotify listener base. It always helps me out. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me at michaeldelaware.com. I wanted to tell you a little bit about what's happening with my website. I just did some updates over the weekend. Um, including a lot of information about my new book. If you want to see the cover of my new book, you can go over to michaeldelaware.com. I put up a, a short blog article on it. You can also see that there are new um, different things in the title bar that you can look through. There is a calendar tab now up there, and that lists out all of the dates that I'm getting scheduled right now for my book tour in 2024, which will happen after March 11th when the book is released. And I've already got several dates on that calendar that you might want to take a look at and take part on. There are places where I am doing book signings and talks around Southwest Michigan. I've got locations on the calendar in Colon, Michigan, Kalamazoo, Albion, Marshall, Battle Creek, and I am working on other locations and other places. I'm also teaching four classes at Kellogg Community College about researching true crime stories. They invited me to come and teach a class there, and I'm doing two of them during the day at 1.30 and two of them in the evening, and those are anywhere. There's one of those in March, there's two in April, and one in May. And I am planning to try to get a booth at the Kalamazoo Living History Show, which is happening on March 16th and 17th. And that's at the Kalamazoo Expo Center. And that was a really big show. I went to it last year just to walk around as a visitor and really enjoyed what I saw there. And they have everything 
that is period-specific prior to 1890. So my book on Victorian true crime would fit right in to that time period. So I'm really hopeful that I can get a table there and sell my books there for two days and stay warm indoors, you know, doing that rather than trying to uh, deal with uh, travel around to a lot of different places. So that's my plan is to be at that show. I've reached out to them about getting a booth. And I may actually, uh, you may actually find that I am paired up with a couple of other my author friends that you've heard on this podcast. So as that develops, I'll give you some more information. I've reached out to a few of my friends that have been guests on my show if they wanted to share the booth with me that weekend. And uh, I'm waiting to hear back from them. Most of the other places I have lined up are either in libraries or at bookstores. And um, I'm still working on several other places, so I will keep posting them on there and adding to the list. So check back periodically at michaeldelaware.com and check out the calendar uh, if you're wanting to get a signed copy of the book when it comes out and or just come on and chat with me at one of these locations. I always love to have people stop by that have been listening to the podcast a while or maybe following me on YouTube. I run into guys out there quite a bit, and it's really always a joy to know that someone's out there listening and enjoying the work that you're putting so much effort and energy into creating. And when you check out the blog post on the book cover, there is a link there that you can click on that takes you over to History Press, and you can enter your email onto a list there to receive a notification of when the book is available. So if you don't want to worry about forgetting about this on March 11th, you can go and drop your email and they'll send you an email when it's released on March 11th. And the dates that I've got on my calendar, just FYI, are all dates that I have scheduled. History Press is working on a whole bunch of other places for me to sit and sign books at. So I have to factor them into my schedule. They'll probably be getting me into Barnes and Noble for sure, and they have some other bookstores I think that they are working on for me. So I won't hear from those dates until probably sometime mid-January, but as I have them, I will be adding them into the calendar as well. But I always prefer the smaller bookstores. They always seem to be a little bit more cozy and a little bit more fun, and it also feels good to be bringing some business to a smaller store as opposed to some of these big uh, chain stores like Barnes and Noble. So, but you know, as a book promotion tour, I'll be doing all of those locations uh, whenever I can get inside of them. So until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.